You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Roy Robbins is the owner of Bad Moon Books. He's also the publisher of Eclipse Books. Thank you for joining me, Roy. Oh, my pleasure, Rick. Roy, tell us a little bit about your journey from book collector to bookseller. You, what made you go from uh, just being a collector to being a bookseller? We are going back a little further. I, I guess I um, kind of attribute uh, my love of books to my stepmom, actually, uh, Lou Robbins. She used to get me books all the time for Christmas, and sometimes, I guess early on, it was kind of like, oh, darn, no BB gun, another book. But actually, um, I started loving to read, and uh, I remember I got my wife a copy of The Dead Zone by Stephen King way back when, when it first came out, and she, I'm not sure if she read it or not, but I picked it up and read it, and I was like, wow, I love this guy, so I read everything by him. And I remember my first collectible book I ever bought was... um, Cycle of the Werewolf, the limited edition by Landon Enchantment. Um, and it was like, oh, it was $100. And I can remember standing there with my wife. We were wringing our hands like, oh, can we afford this? But we did. And then um, I think the second collectible book I got was The Talisman, limited edition by Don Grant. And I remembered I'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for it, and it showed up on Christmas Eve one year. So that was pretty amazing. And um I just, uh, what I did was in kind of in the heyday of Dark Harvest, when Dark Harvest was really up and running, and they had all the great authors, King, Coon, Simmons, Garden, you name it, um, I used to buy a, like a single copy. And then I got the idea, well, you know, if I buy five, I could not only keep mine, uh, or I could get my copy for free, basically, by selling the other four. And then I thought, well, if I buy ten, I could not only keep my copy, but I could make some money. So literally, that's kind of how it started, was uh, just trying to make, an, uh, make enough to get a free copy for my own collection. And then from there, I started making a little bit of money on it. Now, um, once you uh, went from this uh, buying uh, one copy to buying 10 copies of a book, and boy, Dark Harvest did make some great books. Jeez, I can remember their heyday as well. Um, <clears throat> when did you, like... Decide to start putting together a catalog, and who did you send it to? Yeah, that's interesting because um, my first catalogs were printed, and like, believe it or not, at just like a local Sir Speedy. And um, actually, I think I take that back. The first ones I remember I just printed on my own, and they were like folded and stapled, just regular eight and a half by eleven sheets. Um, And I gosh. I want to say that was probably back in the late 80s when I first started doing that. And um, I guess I'd made some contacts through the years of collecting, so I just started sending it out to people by mail that, uh, that I knew that you know I'd met through collecting books and talking about books, and then it kind of grew from there by word of mouth. Um, I do remember, though, at one point, and then, I, like I said, I actually started having the catalogs be a little nicer with kind of a cardboard front with some art on it, and they progressed. But then I remember all of a sudden what, when the Internet came around, um, people, what would happen was I'd mail out the catalog, 
And by the time it got out, all the good books had actually sold off the Internet. And so people started getting, you know, a little upset, like, hey, you know, everything's selling before we even get the catalog. So that's kind of when I made the transition pretty much strictly uh, strictly online. Although uh, I will say that I do still get some printed catalogs from dealers um, in the mail. So I think there's some people that actually like to hold the catalog in their hand, just like a lot of people like to hold a book as opposed to reading a book online. Well, I'm actually one of those people. It's uh, it's always entertaining to get the the Zsing catalog. He puts all these uh, entertaining descriptions of the books. Uh, now, oh, I know Mark. Mark's a good friend of mine. Mark and Cindy. I've known them forever. So yeah, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that truly is reading one of Mark's catalogs is like reading a book. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, when you went online, did you go straight to your own website or and tell us about uh, your your work on eBay and and how much you work there and how much you like working there. When I first got online, basically what I was doing was I was compiling a list of books, say, like in Word format, and then just kind of emailing them out to people to take a look at. It was basically an online catalog. Um, It wasn't for a little while, I would say a few years later, that I actually uh, got my first uh, website. Um, And, you know, eBay... I started with eBay, selling books on eBay like 11 years ago, which was kind of like right in the beginning of their uh, existence. And I've been selling books on there ever since. I've been through the good times and the bad times. Um, I mean, it's, it's the good thing about eBay is it opens up my, uh, my market, obviously, all over the world. I've sold books to Israel, Australia, Germany, Austria. I mean, literally all over the world. Um, the bad news is is that it really has kind of devalued some of the better books. Um, back in the old days of printed catalog, people just kind of relied on the knowledge and expertise of the dealers to set the price of the books. And not that they were trying to gouge anybody, but it was kind of what the market would bear um, based on the, the kind of uh, limited exposure that these books had. Now, uh, with eBay, you know, copies of books that were once considered rare are no longer considered all that rare, and the prices have come down quite a bit, which is fine for books that I buy now, um, because I can, I can base my price accordingly, but, uh, or my, you know, how much I'm willing to pay for it accordingly. But books that I paid like $100 for, say, five years ago that I could only sell for $50 nowadays, that, that tends to kind of hurt um, when that happens. And I've got books like that. I'm actually going through my inventory right now, listing them on the website, listing them on eBay, and just letting them go where they may just to kind of weed out some of the older titles. When you're, I, I wonder if you care to talk about selecting titles, of books to buy in terms of investment value. You know, it, it's a really dicey uh, call whether somebody's you know book is going to be worth something a few years down the line. Could you tell me a little bit about what uh, aspects of the book you judge to in order to uh, see? Yeah, you know, Rick, investment? it really has changed quite a bit lately. I mean, some of the old. Um Old school authors that used to bring the big money don't even more I, anymore. I mean, like even Stephen King, um, you know, for a while was the gold standard. Man, you I could buy anything signed or early by Stephen King and know that I was going to make money. Nowadays, 
that's just it's just not the case. Part of it I blame on the economy. People are more discerning with their you know their money, and they're just looking for bargains, and they're just not willing to pay the big bucks that they once were. Um, there's a lot of authors now that come on the the um, get into the forefront that are kind of what I call like the flavor of the month that um, end up being really hot, and then they the, you know they kind of go away. But then there's some authors that are especially in the genre that I publish. There's kind of a core group of authors that are um, that are still you know collectible um, that aren't household names. You know, people like. Uh, Weston Oaks and um, Steve Vernon and John Little and Gene O'Neill and Gord Rollo and well, there's you know Brian Keene of course who kind of is becoming a household name now. Um, you know those type of authors. And what's happening is the publishers, myself included, we're actually lowering our print runs based on the economy and also to make the books you know a little little more collectible. My very first book. Vampire Outlaw, The Milky Way by West and Oaks was like a 300-copy run, and I've still got copies of it. Um, consequently, I actually have taken um, the business and actually split it up. Actually, Bad Moon Books is actually the, uh, actually the main imprint. Um, Eclipse is our line. We actually have two. Eclipse is our line that we do like 100-copy hard covers and then 26 copy lettered. So anything in the Eclipse line, there's only 126 copies total. The Bad Moon line, sometimes it's bigger, sometimes it's smaller. We're going to do some books next year in uh, trade paperback format that's only uh, 150 copies, trade paper, and then 26 um, lettered. And then we're going to be doing a Simon Clark book next year um, called The Ghosting Tide which I haven't even announced yet. This is the first time I've even said it, so hey, hooray for that, um, that we're going to raise the print run on, because, you know, he's still pretty collectible. Some of these other authors that are newer, that are just kind of coming on the scene, that are amazing writers, um, we're just being a little more cautious with, because, you know, because of the economy and because people are a little more discerning now. I will say this much, and I got to throw this plug in. Um, there's a comp- there's a magazine called Dark Scribe Press, and they do an award. You, you've heard of the Stokers, obviously. It's horror's big award of the year, similar to the Academy Awards. Sure, um, sure. The Black uh, Dark Scribe magazine does one called the Black Quill Awards, and the nominations for 2008 just came out, and I was very fortunate and pleased. Uh, that in the small press category of novel and novellas, uh, three of my books, three of the six books that are nominated are Bad Moon books. So I'm really happy about that because it does speak to not only obviously the talent of the author, but also, you know, my ability and, and my assistant, Liz Scott, who's an amazing person. She does most of the pre-reads. I think it speaks to our ability to pick quality fiction, um, not just based necessarily on the author's name, but actually the quality of the story. And that's uh, been borne out by uh, those nominations recently. Um, Johnny Gruesome by Greg Lamberson, Miranda by John Little, and Confessions of St. Zach by Gene O'Neill, all are nominated. Um, and, and Miranda uh, by John Little is just uh, uh, an amazing, amazing But They're all amazing. But Miranda just is an amazing story. Um, 
we're really pleased to ha- have had that happen. Well, tell me a little bit now about you, so let's ratchet back to your catalog days. You went from catalog to uh, one and then two stores. How did you do that? And are you still in any of those stores, the brick and mortar stores? Yeah, but my my first store was after I'd left. I was an engineer at Hughes Aircraft Company, and when the the whole aerospace thing kind of went down, I left there in 1993. Um, I went in with a partner um, who had money and, and a and a, and a more of a broad knowledge about books. I'm I'm really good with fiction, but with the nonfiction, I'm I'm not that great. My partner and I went in and we started Book King down in Costa Mesa. And uh, we were we had that store for three years. Um, we did okay. We were anchored. The anchor in our center was a Trader Joe's, so the parking lot was always full. Um, unfortunately, most of the people there weren't Book King customers. They were Trader Joe customers. So when they actually relocated, we actually closed up because it went from a full parking lot to basically uh, tumbleweeds rolling across the parking lot as soon as Trader Joe's left. And then it was a few years later, I um, had the opportunity to open up another brick-and-mortar store in Garden Grove in an old part of town, Old Main Street, which is just a tiny little strip of street in the middle of Garden Grove. I had the opportunity to open a store there, and I did, and, and did pretty pretty well there. The demographics of the area wasn't all that great. There's a lot of people with fixed incomes and... Um, so it wasn't spectacular, but I was able at that time to to um, subsidize it with the online stuff I was doing. So a lot of my time actually in the store was actually doing stuff online, packing books, shipping books, and, and listing books. And then my, my landlord basically doubled the rent on me, or I would have stayed. I was there like three years. I would have stayed there even though the walk-in was not that great because I loved my shop there. It was a I had it just really nice, and it had this old, you know, uh, old-school downtown look to it, and the street has a lot of potential. Um, but my landlord doubled the rent, and then I ended up, what I did then was I moved about, and where I currently am, I'm in an uh, office, a professional office um, center. Um, I've got about a 600-square-foot office that's basically just a computer, a desk, and cram full of books. And that's where um, that's where we we work out of now. We do all our shipping, our our listing, our proofing. Liz Scott, like I said, is my assistant, and she's there a lot. I'm there not all that much. Um, if I ever have the opportunity to get back into a brick and mortar store, I might do it because I I do like interfacing with people. It's one of my strong points, I guess, is in person. Uh, People tend to love me online sometimes. they, You know how it is. It's hard to communicate on email sometimes because you just don't have the body language. People think I'm sometimes kind of a Jekyll and Hyde on email, but when they meet me in person, they they, they tend to kind of love me. So I wouldn't mind having a, another brick-and-mortar bookstore. I don't know if that's the way that, you know, it seems to me, at least around here, a lot of them are, are going under. Um, some of the bigger stores around here, Book Baron, 20,000 square foot uh, mainstay here in Anaheim closed about a year ago. And it seems like the brick and mortar bookstores are closing up 
you know, more and more each day. So I don't know if it's a viable thing, but for me it would be because I would always subsidize it with the online stuff. Tell us what uh, made you decide to go into publishing books from selling them. And well, you know, I gotta, I gotta thank my assistant Liz uh, for that. She pushed me and pushed me always. She said, you know, you you know all these authors and you've been in the business forever and your name's out there. You know, and she saw all these other people doing it. She would always say, "Why don't you do it?" You know, and I was I was always a little reluctant. I mean, I know that publishing, um, small press publishing, <clears throat> you have to really love it and be willing to, to pretty much know that you're not going to make a, a ton of money on it, but just love what you do. And I do. I love what I do. But Liz kept saying, you know, and I, I kind of didn't really know how to do it. And then, it would, then she said, well, just, you know, send an email out to all your author contacts and say that you're looking for, you're going to start a, a publishing business and you're looking for submissions. And she said, I'm pretty sure that uh, the rest will follow. And, and, you know, she was right. They came in like a lot. Um, unfortunately, I can't publish everything that I get. Um, and, you know, some of the stuff I get, I've just said no to for one reason or another. Um, others, I would love to, but I, I have to say, hey, man, you're looking at like a 2011 pub date. And then the author will say, well, I need to kind of shop it around a little bit. But uh, I was really happy when I started getting in some uh, some of the bigger names in the industry, uh, Keel and Patrick Burke, and obviously I'm doing the Clive Barker book here coming up. Uh, actually, the galleys are being printed right now, so we ought to be uh, publishing that probably the end of January. That's probably that's definitely the biggest thing that's ever happened to Bad Moon Books, doing the... Uh, Clive Barker book. Tell us about that book. What is what's in it, and what what is it? Well, it's called the the Adventures of Maximilian Bacchus and His Traveling Circus, and it was a title that Clive wrote about forty years ago. Actually, it's four interwoven stories about a traveling circus. It's high fantasy. It's definitely not horror, but he wrote it about forty years ago. And you know, you could read it to your kids because it's high fantasy, um, probably more suited for young adult and above, but you could definitely read it to your kids. It's four interwoven stories, a lot of magical, mystical, you know, traveling circus, you, uh, orangutans and bird handlers. and um, I'm thinking of uh, Jack Finney or Charles Finney, the circus of Dr. Lau. Yeah, Clive didn't want to do the illustrations for it, although he does have some character sketches that he... He showed me that I'm going to include in some of the fancier editions. But Richard Kirk, um, who's done work um, with uh, Caitlin Kiernan, and he, he's an amazing, um, Richard A. Kirk, an amazing artist, has just done some of the most incredible art that I've ever seen, including a full-color wraparound DJ, which, a dust jacket, which is just amazing. And then he's done... Uh, amazing internal illustrations. There's going to be four, uh, one illustration per story in the trade edition, the full-color DJ. He did an amazing signature page piece of art. So there's a trade edition that's 1,500 copies. It's going to be signed by Clive. All the books are going to be signed by Clive. He agreed to do that. And those are $50. There's a 300-copy slipcase edition signed by Clive and Richard Kirk. That's 125. Um, there's a lettered edition. 
that's going to be leather bound in this uh, one of the one of the main characters in the book is an alligator and so it's going to kind of be like an alligator looking leather 26 copies that's $550 and then um, there's an an ultra edition which is 10 copies um, $2,000, which is going to have like original art in it by Clive and Richard Kirk, hand drawn in the book, and a local um, bookbinder friend of mine named Marlene Bonaventure, who does amazing work, is actually doing a. It's called like a hand design binding on them, so each one will actually be handmade, and it'll take over a year to make those ten books. So. We're really excited about the title. Not only the fact that it's a Clive book, but that it's a book that can basically be read by anybody. Well, that's really fascinating. Now, um, tell us a little bit about uh, your book um, by uh, Steve Weddell, um, Little Graveyard on the Prairie. I love that book, man. You know, I I won't say I'd never heard of Steve, but I had, but I'd never had any contact with him until he sent me a, a copy of that particular book. He thinks it's one of the best things he's ever written, and I and I got to agree. Um, uh, Fearzone.com did a review on it, a gentleman named Norm Rubenstein, and he loved it. I mean, and I loved it too. It, it's uh, I used to, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of when I was a kid growing up. Uh, you remember those um, books called like uh, Alfred Hitchcock stories not to read in the dark, or Alfred Hitchcock stories your mama never read to you. Whenever I would get a uh, copy of that, and I used to love to read. I'm a real short story novella guy. I like that format even more than novels. And originally, Bad Moon Books, we started out um, only wanting to do novellas because uh, I love that format. Um, but when I would get those Alfred Hitchcock books, I would always turn to the table of contents and see if there was a, a story by either Ray Bradbury or Robert Block, especially Robert Block, because he used to have amazing short stories that would always just have this really kind of twisty ending that would kind of take my breath away. That's the way Little Graveyard on the Prairie is. It's it's a, it's a kind of a love story, ghost story, with a twisty Robert Block ending. I mean, it, it really is an amazing piece of short fiction. I, I just, uh, I hope it gets out there into a lot of people's hands and they're able to read it because um, it's amazing. And then we also, just to kind of beef up the package a little bit, Steve was nice enough to include um, a couple other stories actually in the book, just to, like I said, to kind of beef up the package. But the main piece, Little Graveyard on the Prairie, is um, is an amazing piece of work. And we got some cool art. The dust, uh, the, the cover is really uh, nice. It's done by a guy named Paul I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Grendes, G-R-O-E-N-D-E-S, did a really nice cover on it, a real real moody kind of cover, and uh, it's a great book. And and sales have been good. Um, I'm just hoping that uh, it can get out there into the mainstream and people can really have a chance to read it. Evidently, you obviously plan to keep on publishing. Do you foresee, like, uh, bigger print runs and, and maybe bigger authors? I mean, although it's hard to get much bigger than Clyde Barker, to tell the truth. I definitely foresee continuing publishing, for sure. Um, I don't know about the print runs. I, I would really like to. Um, the biggest print run we're going to be doing is the 1,500 copies of the Clyde book. I would like to have the print runs increase. A lot of it, that's going to depend on the economy. 
Um, I know almost every publisher that I know, small press, and I'm talking um, Bloodletting, Delirium, um, Necessary Evil, all those guys that are all, by the way, longtime friends of mine, they pretty much have all lowered their print runs and even lowered their output just because of the economy. Um, I mean, even here's a good marker for you. Even the Clive book, albeit it is selling very well, I would imagine in a in a in a um, robust economy, I would probably be already be sold out of it. But you know, even a Clive Barker book in this economy is not selling as as well as um, it would be in a real hearty economy. So I would definitely love to uh, get back to beefing up the print run so that more people could read it. But I have to be realistic too, because what happens is if the print run's not set right. A bunch of them go out the door in the beginning, and then the rest of them sit around and kind of trickle out. So, But I've got contracts as far as publishing all the way into the first part of 2011. Well, that's remarkable. I find it you know, bracing how positive you sound and, and happy. Uh, the, even as we watch the economy crumble around us, you're selling the heck out of books, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I try, and I work hard at it, too. You know, ask my wife. I, a lot of people say, oh, man, I wish I had your job. And I, said, I say to them, well, you know, think twice before you say that, because I spend a lot of time doing what I do. You know, if I'm not actually on the computer or at the office, I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm emailing the authors, talking to the authors on the phone, talking to the artists, thinking about ways to try and make money, especially in this particular economy. But the good news is I really, truly can absolutely say I love what I do. So most of the time it doesn't even really seem like work. I've been speaking with Roy Robbins. He's the proprietor of Bad Moon Books, Sales and Publishing. Thank you for speaking with me, Roy. Oh, my pleasure, Rick. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to plug the business. It's definitely been my pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.